All right, now, who's ready for some commercials? Let me hear it. <laughs> Guys, it's the biggest day in the sports world with the Super Bowl literally drawing in millions and millions of eyeballs to see who will win and take home the trophy. It's a big deal. And while millions of people tune in uh, you know, to see who will win, advertisers, they see a big, massive opportunity uh, in order to get their messages across in an attempt for you to buy their stuff and to uh, purchase their services. Or in some cases, to get you to vote for them. Did you guys hear this? In fact, New York City's own Donald Trump and Mike Bloomberg both reportedly spent $10 billion each in order to grab 60 seconds of your attention and hopefully gather your support. Think about that for a second. 20 mil split across them both for commercials to air during the Super Bowl. It's a big deal. Now, some of the commercials that will air, some of them are going to make you laugh. Uh, some of the commercials that will air will make you cry. You'll need a Kleenex or a tissue. Others are made to make you think and ponder. Others give you a very clear call to action. But what's interesting to me is that occasionally there is a connection that we can draw. If we, if we think a little creatively, there's a connection that we can draw to, to bring out a more deeper and more personal meaning from these commercials. In fact, that's exactly what we're doing with 30 Second Theology. We'll be drawing some of the funniest, some of the most thought-provoking, and maybe even tear-jerking commercials. And we'll ask ourselves, how does this connect with the Bible, and how is this significant to me? So this year, <coughs> excuse me, I've invited Burials, Hunter, and Wes to help me connect some of the dots with some of these commercials. And so if you're ready and you're excited for the first commercial, then maybe we can get it started. Let me hear you make some noise. Are you ready? The first commercial, good. All right, so for this first commercial, it will help you see the importance of working together. Check it out right here. And fans are always on their team's teams, no matter what. How about that for a rally line? Can you guys say, no matter what to your neighbor, no matter what. Right? Teams, fans, there you go, bro. Fans are always on their teams' teams. And I, I like that. And um, as you know, this week's sermon uh, series, this uh, day is not your typical Sunday service, uh, but we want to have a little bit of fun with Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, I kind of love this commercial. Uh, my favorite part, obviously, was the mascot uh, having his costume back and getting crushed. Uh, but besides that, I can relate to a little bit of this commercial. Um, and those of you who know me, I'm a Met fan, and so probably immediately in your mind, yeah, but immediately in some of your minds are, I know how he relates to that super fan. He knows what it is like to cheer for a miserable team, and no, that is not how I relate, all right, so that's not funny. <laughs> but uh, how I relate, hey, I grew up loving sports, and those of you who know me, I'm a big baseball guy, I played baseball through high school, coached uh, high school baseball, love it, and I love sports. And one of the things I love about sports is uh, the lessons that I've learned through my time playing sports. And some of those lessons that I've learned for me were leadership lessons, important leadership lessons, right? And the importance of bringing a team together for a single goal. I learned the importance and the value of sticking together, not only when you're winning, right, because that's easy, not only when things are going well, but sticking together and bonding together when you're having a rough season. When you're having a tough time, when things just seem all out of whack, right? And quite frankly, your season is one big mess. And I know that feeling as a Mets fan again, right? When things are just a mess. But listen here, what I, what I want to take from this commercial, I believe, is an important connection of our individual lives to the connection of us as a church family. 
Because you guys know me. I've said it several times. We're not like family, but we are family. And so there is a point to this commercial, and I'm going to give you that point in a second, and then we're going to have some biblical support to that point. So here is the point for this commercial. If you're taking notes, you can go ahead and jot them down. What seems like a mess, God uses to bless. Mm. Let me say that again. What seems like a mess, God uses to bless. You see, what I want to say about this and what I want to say about Swerve Church is this. Swerve Church is not a perfect church. Right? We don't have perfect leadership. We don't have the perfect worship team, perfect worship uh, uh, sound system. We don't have the very best children's ministry. We don't have perfect host. We don't have the perfect refreshments and snacks, though Bustelo is probably perfect. <laughs> but here's this truth, the last truth. We are in a perfect family. And so if you're visiting here, this is probably when you're looking for the eggs and like, okay, why am I here? This guy's just bashing his own church. But here's the truth. Besides the truth that we're not a perfect family, there's a reason why I say that. Is because it's safe to say that every single person sitting here has gone through a mess in their lives or in a mess right now. Right? We have our weaknesses. We have our shortcomings. We have our differences as a family. We have our flaws. But listen, while that is a fact, here's another fact. God intends to use our mess. What seems like a mess, God uses to bless. This is the important truth that ought to shine through us, church. This is an important truth that should set us apart. Though our individual lives seemingly are falling apart and you might feel like you can't hold things together, like you don't have a place in this church, in this body, but hear this truth. We are better together. We are better together because we are the church and God uses the brokenness within the church to bless those in it and those around it. I want us to take a look at scripture here, Romans 15 verses 5 through 6. It's on the screen behind you also should be uh, maybe in your notes. But here's Romans 15, 5, 6. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Hear the call for the church. We are called here to live in harmony with one another despite our individual brokenness, right? We are to live in harmony within this family to the glory of God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to live in harmony. You see, the Apostle Paul here is writing this prayer to the Roman church as he shares about the attitude and the lifestyle of unity that the church were, that we are called to live out. And he starts off by this. He starts off reminding us that none of this is accomplished by you. None of it is accomplished by you alone. But he says what he says. Now that may the God who gives. You see, this happens through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit Church. And he works in us so that we live in harmony and to be like minded towards one another, even though things might be out of whack, even though things don't mesh together right we have just people out of place or it might feel like we we don't mix more whatever the case may be we are to build each other up we are to encourage one another we are to link arms and go to battle for one another all for the glory of christ who died for our brokenness he takes his broken people 
and he makes them his beautiful bride. Because hear this, and this is so important, and we're going to wrap it up and get to the next commercial. Listen here. Even through our brokenness, you say it this way, even through your brokenness, your God remains beautiful. Even through your brokenness, your God, our God, remains beautiful. And we belong to him. Because even when our God appeared broken on the cross, it was that work that purchased your salvation. What seems like a mess, God uses to bless. Amen. Now, I hope this next commercial also helps us to consider some important biblical truths. Go ahead and check it out. So in that commercial, um, you know, it, Gillette is trying to address an issue that, for some reason, it's been here forever, since forever. It's been beyond American history. But all of a sudden, it kind of blew up a couple of years ago. Um, and it's dealing with injustice, with, with men who are, who are acting not like men. They're, you have boys roughhousing, bullying. Um, and so uh, Gillette's saying, trying to wave, wave a flag with this commercial. Um, and so they're, they're saying, oh, boys will be boys. And they say, that's not, that's not the way we should look at things. Um, and so beyond the Gillette commercial, I think we should turn to God in the scriptures because uh, as much as they, they, they you know, they're applaud worthy, they're trying to stand up what's right, um, they still don't get it fully. And I think God has even much more to say and much, a much better thing to say about what does it mean to be a man in manhood. And so immediately I said manhood, girls are like, I'm, on, I'm gone, I don't have to do this. Uh, I don't listen to this. But uh, I think for accountability purposes, you guys, some of you are single, some of you might need to know what a man looks like before you just start fishing. Um, and uh, others of you are married, uh, you should, your, your wife should know what to, uh, how to hold husbands accountable and, and how to say, hey, look, you know, I, I'm, you need to start acting like this way. Or So we want to look at the Bible. What does God say? That's the most important thing, not what a commercial says. What does God say about manhood? Um, so let's read this verse together. It's on the screen. It's 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Yes. Okay, ready? Let's go. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all you do be done in love. Um, so the point for this commercial is we're going to say, don't be a man of the herd. Be a man of the word. Oh, yes, we're rhyming still. Um, so don't be a man of the herd. Be a man of the word. So what does this mean? So we find that verse that Paul just wrote, stand firm, be watchful. We find that verse at the very end of Paul's letter when he's writing to, to the church of Corinth. And so since it's the last thing, he's kind of, hey, guys, this is the most important thing. I really need you guys to listen up. Um, this is important. I want you to remember this. And so in our culture, in our world, um, it's kind of this message that, oh, you know, to be a man, they should never show weakness. You never cry. You be stern. Um, you take control of everything. Um, and so I think, yes, it is good. To, it, men, men should be strong, but not in the way uh, that c culture and society has said they should be strong. Um, so what does it mean to be a healthy, good, and righteous man in God's eyes? Um, so look, we, we're going to take apart this verse. It says, what is the first thing it says? It says, be watchful. So a biblical man is watchful. Um, that means as men, uh, we're not passive with our wives. We're not passive with our jobs at home. Um, we're not, we, when, when we have things in our hand that God has placed in our, in our control and in our um, circles, we don't loosely hang on to those things. We're very attentive. And we've had this problem. Men have had this problem since the Garden of Eden. You know, you guys know the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam was being a little passive, and all of a sudden Eve's like, hey, try some fruit. And he's like, all right, whatever. And so that's, that is the thing that we're trying to say. No, this is not manhood. Um, Adam was passive. And so 
The opposite of that is to be watchful and to, like, uh, kind of like a gardener, if you notice, they're always in their, their gardens. They're always tending. They're watching. And so as a man, as a biblical man, that's, that are the things we should do. We should be watchful and be um, faithful to what, is God, what God has placed in our hands. Um, so then the next thing the verse says is stand firm in the faith, act like men. And I put those together because I think those are kind of the same thing. Standing firm in the faith is to be acting like a man. Um, women also stand firm in the faith. I just want to address that. Um, this is incredibly important because to act like men is to be planted in the faith. Um, this means as men, we're reading our Bibles. We're pointing our friends and our family to Jesus. Um, we care for and we pursue holiness. Um, and so I see Jesus, even Jesus, the perfect one son sent from God, he's even planning his life, standing firm in the faith. He's praying to God. He's fasting. Um, so if Jesus is doing this, uh, we definitely should be as uh, children of God. And so I would say that's what it means to be stand firm in faith. Do it, we, we imitate Jesus. He, he prayed to the Father. He was always in communion with the Father. Um, and the finally, the most important thing Paul says, and this is the last part of that verse, listen to this, let all you do be done in love. Interesting. That doesn't sound very manly. Let all you do be done in love, right? But again, the Bible has a lot different view of manhood than our world today. And so he's saying, look, this is the last thing I'm going to say. Most importantly, above everything, let all you do be done in love. So to be a strong man, uh, a strong biblical, biblical macho man is actually, in reality, it means to be humble, gentle, protective, and loving. I'll say that again. Humble, gentle, protective, and loving. And so maybe you can ask yourself, you know, take a real good self-evaluation. Am I acting those ways? Am I acting as Jesus act, acted. Um, so our lust is not protective, guys. Our passivity and our apathy to things is not, is not watchful and protective. And our lack of God's word in our hearts is not manly. That's, that's what the Bible suggests. Now, will we fall as guys? Absolutely. You bet your, bet your bottom dollar we're going to fall. But if we're standing firm in the faith, right, uh, we have the ultimate figure of manhood to look to and to catch us and pull us up when we do fall. Um, otherwise, you know, who's going to pull us up? What are we going to do if, if we are not planted in the faith? So I encourage you guys, lean on, lean on Jesus. Um, this is what it is to be a man. Be a man of the word, not the herd. I don't, yes, yes, that. Don't be a man of the herd, be a man of the word. Um, okay, so now if you uh, ha- have checked out by now, let's wake up. Because if, you're, if, if you haven't watched any commercial so far, you're really going to watch this one. Um, guys, this next commercial, uh, you know, as we were preparing, I was watching it. I was, I was really moved by this commercial. And it, you know, if you have tissues, you're really going to want to grab those because this is probably the most heavy, heaviest and most emotional commercial we're going to watch. Um, it's a very serious topic, and I know it spoke to my heart. Um, so, yeah. So I just want to say about that. Take a look. Um, yeah. All right. So how many of you guys can relate to this commercial? Uh, <laughs> You know, as, as an older brother to a, to a younger sister that's two years younger than me, I know that I definitely can. Now, it's like watching, watching through the commercial, I'm like, man, what? how many of those things did I do to my sister? And the answer is probably all of them. <laughs> but that was my thing. Like, uh, one of my favorite things to do as a kid was to either pick on my sister, make her cry, get her in trouble, really whatever it was. That's, that was my job as an older brother, right? But that was only for me. If you ask her, she'd say, like, your buddy says, what are your hobbies? What do you do? What do you like to do when you go home? Whatever. Uh, video games ever. Hannah would say, you still have to get me in trouble. And she says that often. So I pay for it now. But honestly, I hope that like, uh, hope that what I did, both physical and emotional, picking on her, kind of is something that's made her stronger and made her tougher. Because 
um, anything I did was out of love. So, and like, if, any, if I ever heard that people had made her had made her mad, then the same things that I did to her, it was like, man, what are you doing? That's my sister. Calm down. So, like, I had to I had to stand up for her. That was that was my job. So, in our lives, there's there's people we care about, and there's people that we're close to, and um, we would more likely stand up and do anything for them, right? We have those people we just have that connection with. Um, we all have family members or friends that we just connect with, and we, we love to pick on and joke with, but we know that if we ever need anything and we have to count on them for anything, or vice versa, that we would be there in a heartbeat. We would we would drop anything we could to ta- take on and tackle any obstacle in their lives because that's what we do. And the church family should look the exact same way. Just because we're not blood and we're not we don't have the same last name or whatever, we all should we should the church should look the same way. Um, so let's take a look at our notes, fill in point number three. I, I couldn't let, let Berrios and Hunter show me up, so we're going to continue the rhyming theme. So hang in there with me. God calls us to strengthen, not to weaken. One more time. God calls us to strengthen, not weaken. How do you guys view the church? What do you, what do you come to church for? Is it a place, that you, a place for you to come and learn? Is it a place to grow? Is it kind of like a social club? You just gain more friends and have more fellowship? All those things are true. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but Berrios kind of pointed on this. So he talked about that mindset of a team. Um, the, the, the church's primary focus, one, should be for us all to put on the same uniform. We all should be speaking the same language. We all should be living the same idea of gospel and, the, and Jesus first and taking the gospel. But there's a step deeper than that. Once you put on that jersey, you all have to act the same, right? If two people were in the same, on, a, on the same team are running two different plays, it's really obvious because somebody's going to get hit really hard. And we should be doing the same thing as a church. We should... Everything we do, we should take on and join together and, and build up others around us to take on and walk that same life together. That means everyone who's part of the church has responsibility in the task to learn and grow as believers. So what does that mean? Let's take a look in your notes again, the verses in there in, in the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 27. I'm, if it's going to be on the board, I'm going to read it once, and you guys read it again with me. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. All right, one more time. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. So it's going to be a strange analogy, but you guys kind of hang in there with me because it makes sense at the end. So in the verse, he's talking about swords and battle because that's what made sense to them. We don't know that as well, so we're going to talk about kitchen knives, kind of the same concept. Um, if you think about it, there's tons of different styles of kitchen knives, whether it's steak knives, butter knives, where you got the deep, fancy, like, chef knives. Um, I actually looked this up because I was just kind of curious. You can go to the Dollar Tree and buy a knife for a dollar, and it's fine, right? There's knives online for over $1,000 for one knife, just like what the blade's made out of, what they use it for. It's crazy, right? But, but what do they all have in common? They're all the same goal is to cut things in, in a kitchen. So no matter how much you spend, if you spend to buy that dollar knife at the Dollar Tree or a $1,000 knife online or wherever you buy those type of knives, because I've never seen that before, but at some point after they get enough use, they have to be sharpened. They're going to get dull, and they, and they have to be sharpened to, to be able to be usable again. I think this, this verse kind of sums that up very well. What's the only thing that can sharpen an iron knife? Well, it would be an iron, like a knife sharpener. You have to have one of those tools. <clears throat> and as Christians, the same truth goes for us. Um, we must always be looking for someone that can sharpen our faith. There's always going to be somebody that we can lean on <clears throat> and grow from. And this can look many different ways. I mean, it's, you have to take time. Is it taking time to read from authors that we, that we know and trust or te- are speaking truth? Uh, whether it's taking time to meet with somebody, taking time out of our day and out of our schedule to just kind of say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I really need help. <clears throat> or whether it's saying, I just want to go deeper into the Bible. And that's something that really is cool. It's why we kind of did the Bible study. I did. A bunch of you guys have asked, hey, we want to go deeper. And that's a huge step because we have to, the first thing you do to better strengthen and grow your knowledge is to, to take the steps to study the Bible and study God's word. So those are all great ways <clears throat> to strengthen your walk. 
So it's so important to grow your personal walk with the Lord so that we can be best equipped and really have the best possibility and the best chances of, one, facing temptation and of the sins in our life and being able to kind of work through those from a, from a gospel mindset. But also we have to be able to stand firm in the world outside of us because even we can be the best Christians we can be, we live in a fallen world. Sin happens around us every, every single day. That's why everything that happens in the world, earthquakes, fires, death, all this stuff happens because we live in a sinful, fallen world. Um, so we have to be able to withstand those temptations and the struggles, but God doesn't call us to stop there. At some point, we should start looking at people around us that we can sharpen as well. Is that chef, so when he sharpens that knife and it's perfect and it's sharp and great and ready to use again, he just puts it on the shelf and it sits there and it's perfect and sharp and never, it, it never goes dull, right? But it's also not fulfilling its purpose in life. That's the same thing. We should be finding, looking for people that we can, we can share so that we can share our greatest potential with them and pull that out of the other people as well. <clears throat> that should be our goal when we disciple people. Um, we should take our knowledge and experiences and things we've learned from and places we've struggled, and we can turn that around and we can help them either if they're going through that, help them kind of find how to battle that well, or how to avoid those, those negative and those sinful topics altogether. Um, so take a moment, I want you guys to say activity portion of the, of the note. So take a moment and think about a person that has helped you at some point in your life grow, whether, whether that's a pastor, whether it's a parent, whether it's a friend. Think about somebody in your life that has helped you grow. You got them? How much did that mean to you in that time when you were really struggling, when you were like, man, I don't know what to do. God, I need help. And this person walks up to you and says, hey, you okay? You had a good week, whatever. All those things happen, right? It's, and it's never, God always puts those people in our, in our path and in our way. Now think about, now think again, step two of that thinking deeper. Do you have a person in your life that you could do that for as well? Do you have friends or family or people in your life that you interact with on a daily basis? You know them, but you don't really know them. Think about what it would be like to maybe just ask them, hey, you want to grab lunch today at work? Hey, are you free? Whatever afternoon, can we grab coffee? I just want to, I want to hear your story. I want to hear what's going on in your life. As a church, this should be our goal and intention with everything we do, whether it's outreaches, whether as we, as we interact with people on the street, or whether it's interacting with people right here over food after church. Every conversation we have, we should be growing and encouraging ourselves, one, so we can look more like Christ, but also as we do that, we should be encouraging and growing others. Um, so it's, just, it's a really important way to, and it's, it's biblical. Think about what Jesus did. He had 12 guys around him that he, that he built up and that he poured into every single day. When he died, what, did they just stop doing what he did when he died? No, he, they went out all over the world, and they shared and continued to grow. And that's what Jesus' last command to us was to go and make disciples of all nations. That's kind of your, that's just the encouragement is to really find those people to pour into. And as we transition, what's the way we can do that? What's, like we talked about it before, we all fail, right? Everybody's had failures because we live in this sinful world and we're all fallen. Um, the next commercial, we're going to talk about failure, what it looks like to fail some. So I'll go ahead and let Junior throw that one up now. You know, uh, guys, we, we all make mistakes, right? We all make mistakes. I know sometimes you want to play it off, like you got it all figured out and you got it all together. But the truth of the matter is, I know this and you do too, is that we all make mistakes. For example, one day I was in the mood for a boiled egg. And uh, I ain't no cook, but come on. Who can't boil an egg, right? So I throw it, you just put it in the water, you leave it there. Would you believe I failed at boiling an egg? I took it out the water, I cracked the shell, and this half-cooked, gooey mess just dripped all over me and all over the floor. Or I remember one time when I was first learning how to cut hair. I had a courageous friend at school uh, that wanted me to cut his hair. Skin fade? Psh, yeah, no problem. Sure, I got you, man. I got this. I went to his house. 
took the clippers out, set up a chair in his kitchen, and I proceeded to cut his hair. How's your day, Mike? How's it going? We were having a good conversation. Seconds turned to minutes. Minutes turned to hours. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get it right. I couldn't get the fade to fade. It just was just a line in his head. It looked like someone put a ball on the top of his head and shaved the sides with a lawnmower is what it looked like. It was horrible. And eventually I just gave up. I was like, man, look at the time. It's getting late. I think I got to go. I'll see you to school tomorrow, right? And just left them like that. You know, some of our failures are funny, uh, but some of them we, we can talk about, we can laugh about like I just did now. But you know just as good as me that not all failures are funny, right? What about the more serious failures that we deal with? What about those failures that we hide? What about those failures that we ignore? Or the ones that we pretend didn't happen? What about the failures so horrendous that we believe that there's no forgiveness for? Not from those that we hurt and not even for our own selves. What about those failures? Maybe it was a moral failure. Maybe it was a compromise in your purity. Maybe it was a horrible decision or a momentary lapse in judgment. What about your greatest failures? But I think what we can learn from this commercial, and I think what God's word teaches us is this. You can write it down. It's number four in your notes. And it's this, that no matter the defeat, Christ's work is complete. No matter the defeat, Christ's work is complete. You see, there's one thing that's a given. And that given is that you will fail. We all will. And we all have. In fact, this is what God's word teaches us. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Read it out loud with me. You have it in your notes and it's on the screen. Ready, go. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? For all. all have sinned. We have all failed. And our failure causes us to fall utterly short before a perfect, holy, and righteous God. And our failures are so horrific and so significant that it had to be dealt with in a horrific and significant manner. The Bible says that our sin deserves death. It deserves punishment. Our sin deserves God's wrath. But you see, our failures are not met with God's wrath. No, we don't get what we deserve. Instead, we, our failures collide with God's grace. Our failures are met by God's infinite love. Our failures are met with God's infinite mercy and grace and forgiveness. Look at what Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says. I would love for you guys to read this out loud. Pretend like you're going to chew down on some barbecue wings in a moment. You ready? Romans 5, 8, ready, go. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our failures deserve God's wrath. But God, out of his love for you and for me, entered our mess in the person and work of Jesus Christ and took the punishment and he carried the cross before our sins and absorbed the wrath of God in our place. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Our sins, our failures nailed him to the cross. That's how serious our sins and our failures are. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that in his perfect death we might experience the forgiveness and the pardon of those sins, of those failures. But because there is power in the name of Jesus, 
Because God is all-powerful and almighty. Jesus rose from the grave, conquering Satan's sin and death. And no longer are there chains of our sin, the chains of our failures, the chains of our regrets bound to us. We are set free because of Jesus. Our sins are forgiven and we are made new. Hallelujah. And if you are here today, And you've yet to experience the grace, the beautiful mercy, and the forgiveness made available to us through Jesus. I want to let you know, on Super Bowl Sunday, you have the opportunity to do so. And it has nothing to do with living a better life. It has nothing with trying to live a perfect life. It has nothing with being religious. It has everything to do with the grace made available to us through Christ Jesus. And all you have to do is put your faith in in him put your faith in jesus the bible says to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that jesus christ is lord and you too can experience salvation and you too can experience forgiveness of your sin i'm going to invite the worship team to come up here and they're going to lead us in one final song and i just want you guys as we get ready to partake in communion to remember as you eat the bread the body of jesus that was broken for you as he took the punishment of your sins upon the cross, as you drink the juice, I want you to remember the blood of Jesus poured out for you on the cross of Calvary so that it wouldn't have to be your body and your blood. His sacrifice was sufficient. And all we have to do to experience forgiveness of sin, the Bible says a new life free from sin and the promise of an eternity in the presence of our Savior is to put your faith in Jesus. And Jesus did this. He is the vine. His innocent blood poured out for us so that we might be forgiven, made righteous, and so that we can be called children of God, so that we can be a part of His family. And so as we partake in communion and as we pray, I'm going to invite you as you drink the juice and eat the bread that you remember the cross, remember Jesus and what He did for you. And if you're here today and you've yet to put your faith in Jesus, then I invite you to take Take a leap of faith and put it in Him and trust Him to forgive you of your sin and give you a new life. No matter the defeat, no matter your failures, Christ's work is complete. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that your work is complete. The grave is defeated. My sins are forgiven and I am a child of God. Lord, free us from our disgrace. And loosen the chains of our past regrets and failures and allow us to live a life free, empowered by your Holy Spirit as children of God through Christ Jesus. Thank you for this reminder, God, that we are children of yours through Christ. Thank you, God, for a reminder that we are, because of Christ, that we are part of this family. And therefore, men, we can be men and act like men. And we can serve our wives and children. And we can be leaders in our community and honor you through your word. And not follow the ways of this world, Lord, but live counterculture to live according to the way, the design that you've poured out before us, that you've laid out before us, God. And thank you for this reminder, God, that we are family that you've given us to be family so that we can love and encourage each other, Lord, and be there for one another no matter what. And God, I thank you that our failures were taken care of on the cross of Christ. We give you thanks, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.